We are, we finished, I know hard to believe, the, our book study of 1 John. So now we'll hit a few topical things. And we're today um, continuing on with, with the idea of Advent, as it's been called, or the arrival or, or the coming of Christ. This time of year, we remember. And oddly enough, just the more and more I study the Bible, I think that could possibly be one of the most important aspects of being a Christian is that constant reminder. Because the people, people of God throughout time were very quick to forget how good God is. We're, we're very quick to forget how powerful and wonderful and amazing and altogether different than us our God is. I mean, people in history, I mean, he parted, he parted the ocean and then you're like, dude, I'm hungry. Where are you at? All right? That that's the type of people we are. That's the type of God we have. So so right now, let's let's take some time uh, to remember that and prepare ourselves. So what's you can go on the World Wide Web and there's a thousand different ideas, right, for for Advent. But but a couple that are pretty common is the the first candle that was lit the first week last week. We talked a lot about hope, right? So. We light hope candle, maybe. And then today, in the second week, our our focus turns. Based on that hope, it builds from that. It's this idea of waiting and preparing. And so that's what I hope to speak to you about today. Uh, Let's just pray before we, we get into that, Lord. Jesus, you are the amazing, powerful Savior, the wonderful Counselor, the one who knows us, created us, and in spite of that, you, you still came and died for us. And so we remember uh, not only w- what you did, but what you're doing and what you're going to do. And we just worship you, Lord. We, we put our focus on you. We take it off of everything else before we came into this place, all the places it, our focus goes and we bring it to you. I pray that everything that happens here today, from every song, every prayer, every word I speak, every encouragement that comes from the brothers and sisters around you right now, that all of that would, would help, would spur us on to become more like you, Christ, to be your people, to reflect your image, your goodness and your love to the world. Not only at Christmas, but every day and every month, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's talk about arrival. Uh, you know, I, I think we think of that, we think of Jesus arriving in two pieces, right? The first coming, we say it, and then the second coming. That's what people say. So the first coming was, was when Jesus came to the earth, what we're celebrating with, with Christmas, right? The baby Jesus in the manger. And then the second coming, what, what we think about in Revelation, when Jesus comes back and makes everything right, right? Comes back, gathers his saints to himself, judges the world, all of that. But I wanted to really stop a second and just say, point us back to what the scripture dictates. Because so much of our faith has gone away from the Bible and has been built on different foundations of what people have told us. So get this, just follow this little exercise with me. So the first time that Jesus arrives on the scene, it's this, creation. Right? Genesis 1. Right? We created, the scripture says. We created 
The Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit was over amazing. The Holy Spirit can live in you, and he's also so huge that he could be over the entire expanse of the earth and the darkness. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were there at the beginning in in creation. That's, That's where Jesus comes onto the scene the first time. And then creation goes crazy, and then, you know, you could actually look at little sightings of God, you know, shows up to Abraham's tent, and uh, debate about whether that's actually the pre-incarnate Christ coming. So he shows up on the scene, right? The Spirit comes of God and interacts. But ultimately, we get to this place where, where Christmas hits. Jesus comes back to save us, to rescue us. He takes a humble form. Right? And he lives his life. He dies for our sins, resurrects from the dead, ascends to the Father where he takes the throne and has authority over all things, heaven and earth, right? Well, then, uh, here's a coming that I think we often miss, an arrival of Jesus. And this is what's so important to you because I think we can get caught up in history. Tell me a cool history story, Brandon. Well, Jesus came and he did this and did this and did this. Okay, well, that was 2,000 years ago. Now what? Right? We can't forget about this arrival, this, this coming of Christ. It's the fact that God sent his very spirit, the spirit of God, to come upon us, to save us. And Jesus is constantly saving you. And it looks like this. When you look at your life, you look back and you're like, wow, God was there. And this time, he saved me here. He rescued me here. Wow, he brought truth here. You begin to see that there's this continual arrival of Christ into the lives of men and women who he created. And that is the tra- that's a transformative coming. Because history is fine and dandy and cool, and he won the authority, but now he exercises the authority in the lives of those who believe. So then... We also have, we think of the second coming. Well, really, it's kind of two parts, see? Because what Revelation tells us is he does come back. And depending on your view of, you know, when the, when the rapture, which is a word we made up, comes. And, and so when the, the saints are gathered to him. But either way, he comes back and it tells about a thousand-year reign where Jesus is on earth. He sets up an earthly kingdom for a thousand years where Satan's locked up. Well, what's crazy is, so that's that coming. He comes, but there's still people in the world. Evil is kept at bay, lets him out of his prison. He goes, mess with the minds of people, and essentially they march, as dictated there in Revelation, is it 20? Yeah, I think it's that. Uh, That they march upon the city where Jesus rules, and he has to have fire fall from the heavens and burn them up. Satan, demons, followers of Satan, lake of fire. Then Jesus destroys all things, sets all things right, makes all things new. Second coming. That's a lot. That's like 17 sermons in Cliff's notes. But I want you to to think about this because I want to get ourselves not only in the historical mindset of what happened. There was 400-ish, I'll say, years that, that existed between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Do you know what kind of things were happening in those 400 years? Help me out. It's not a rhetorical question. I really want some help. Maccabean Wars, Maccabean Wars yeah. Greece taking over, transfer from Greece to Rome. 
Yeah, Greece took over, transfer of Greece to Rome. They were being ruled by people, the, the people of God, right? They, they translated, because of the Greek power, uh, all the old scriptures and writings into Greek, which is where they've translated our Bible versions. Uh, these, these religious groups really grew to power the Pharisees, the Sadducees. So what, what, when I think about it, and, and um, in my terms, in a simple, simple man's terms, is we got a little complacent and weird. When we wait, we get weird. Right? So 400 years, God's not there necessarily uh, running things. So he's leaving people and we get all corrupt. We start creating factions and groups and we politicize our religion and that's kind of what was happening. Right? We lose our way. We lose our way very quickly. So then Jesus comes. But then Jesus knew that there was a rescue. The Father sent Jesus to come. Merry Christmas. He's come, right? And then all the events, all the events uh, that happened as recorded in, in the Gospels, you know, come on the back end of Jesus' arrival here. So I wanted to write a couple of notes here to kind of keep this in mind for you. So how Jesus came to the earth to rescue us, which is really what he did, in another place in time, the history, right? That's good news. That's good news. There's a church term we have, the gospel, right? The gospel. Share the gospel, the good news. That's the good news. But the really good news is this, is how Jesus keeps arriving in the lives of men and women. I mean, that's really good news. If you don't realize that, then you haven't let the power of the good news infiltrate your life. You might have heard the other one, the history, but I'm talking about and that might sound like we're the center of the world and God isn't. No, but this is God's plan that he's coming to rescue us. So then guess what? The best news, check this out, even better than that, Brandon. The best news is that he's coming back to make everything right once and for all. Yay. Oh, yeah, right? Choose your descriptive terms. Maybe even the old amen works. I don't know in that one. Hallelujah, whatever you want to say. So here's what I have to tell you today. Now, hope. So it's easy to talk about, but, but to live in it, it's difficult. And now, now we prepare our hearts. And that's what we can't just go into Christmas every year like, same thing. Seen this before. Done this before. That, that's my prayer. Is like, Lord, that's really my prayer. Make this afresh in us. Because even though you came in flesh 2,000 plus years ago, you're coming today. For millions of people around the world. And you're coming right now. You're arriving now. And that's what we're celebrating. And so you don't have to wait till December 25th to receive the Lord. Right? It could happen on the 5th or the 6th or the 7th of December. Hey, it could happen in February. I don't know. It's not really, right? So, but what you have to see, and a lot of what we've been talking about recently is this truth. Now we've been waiting roughly 2,000 years. For Jesus to come back. I mean, imagine if the disciples were still sitting, <laughs> you know, over there, just in, in the wilderness, just waiting. Okay, when's Jesus going to come back? They die. Their kids are waiting. They just set up tents, and everyone's like, "Oh, Jesus, come back!" Two thousand plus years, you would get really uh, 
tired, you'd get really hopeless, your kids would think their moms and dad were crazy and that their God was stupid, and they would revolt, right? That's kind of where we're at. Our culture is like, you guys are nuts. You've been waiting 2,000 years for this dude who's supposed to come back who still hasn't come back. And we've done the same thing they did in that 400-year period. We've become complacent. We forgot all the amazing things God does and who he is. We've rested on our own ability. We've created science and arts and commerce, and now we have all these opinions. We create nations and, and systems that we think are more important than God, and they're not. And we've created science, and now we dictate everything in our own minds. We've lost our way. Like, and so ultimately, we need that best news. I mean, us Christians should be like, Jesus, come back. Come back soon. We're making a mess of this. We're making a real mess of this. Paul wrote about this, you see, because Paul, and this is already, right? We're talking, what, like how many years after Jesus left? We're, I mean, less than a lifetime since Jesus has ascended. And here's what he's writing to the church at Rome. Romans 8, 18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed to us. Yeah. I mean, I usually read this really quick, but let's just stop there. For now, I consider the sufferings. Elliot, it's what you're talking about. Man, is there sufferings now? Yeah. Gosh. I mean, isn't it just suffering sometimes to turn the TV on? Yeah. Hey, parents, how easy is that being a parent? Not easy. Kids, how easy is that being parented? Not easy. Husbands, wives, is that going pretty well? Yeah, not so much, right? What about when your kids, you don't sleep when they're babies, and then you're up late when they're teenagers, and then when they're adults, you don't understand how they're raising their kids? I mean, you guys, you just can't win, so let's get over that. Instead of that, not how to win at this life, but how to... I consider the current suffering, struggles, hardships, headaches, difficulties, frustrations, not worth comparing to the future glory that's to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing and revealing of the sons of God. I mean, all of creation, man. The leaves on the trees are falling and plants are dying. You got bark beetle and forest fires, right? Tsunamis and earthquakes and my dog shaking over here, all nervous, right? All of creation is like, what in the world is going on? This is jacked up. See, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, who subjected it in hope. Verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I mean, you, you go drive around our, our area and there's these like, like dry riverbeds. I mean, imagine if we had water flowing through those things, how different this place would be. Just that simple thing there. I mean, the futility 
of, that, of this life, the, the curse even on the creation, even the most beautiful trees drying up, and there's no water anywhere. So when you get a little water, then you get eaten alive by mosquitoes. So for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Yeah, I never delivered a baby, but when I watched it, that, that stuff hurt. Braxton Hicks contractions leading up to it, right? Then the real contractions. All, all that, that stuff hurts. And that, that's why I look around at the world. This stuff hurts. Like all of creation. But then, but then Paul throws on this. And, and not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Stop there. If it was so easy that this life was great, we would never have hope in God. I, you would, I would have hope with will. I mean, if we could create, let's create a society where everything's organically, right? everything's source sustainable, and like we could just live in harmony, and we're just like, yay, all the time. And then we would forget that God even existed, right, until he crushed us down. We, we think that we can achieve this, these good things, but our hope only grows when our hardship comes, right? Our hope is only there because we can't see what's going to happen. So we become people dependent on something other than ourselves. And we misplace that, and that's idolatry. So instead, at this time, we have to refocus, like, oh, man, I know it's hard for me to get hope, but it it makes sense. If I could see it clearly, if it was so evident, then it wouldn't take hope or faith. Verse 25, see? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. There's a cuss word. Patience, right? But here's a cool little piece I had to to include. I mean, we could keep going. This scripture is brilliant. But verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Who's, what's the spirit? Right, yeah, who? Yeah, that's a better question. It's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? And I think some people, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, come from a conservative type religious background and like, we don't talk about that because that gets crazy. And then the other people are like, oh yeah, let's get crazy, right? So, so the truth is this. I mean, what, everything that I'm saying to you, I don't think you realize that this is an extremely spiritual thing that's happening because the Spirit comes to our rescue in all of this as we're waiting. And He does it in ways that aren't as sexy as you think. Right? Sometimes it's, it's this most, the most admirable, right? Steve, we're talking about this. The most admirable gift of the Spirit, and Rick, is like to prophesy the revelation of truth from God. And that happens to me all the time during the week. So many of you honestly co-write these sermons because God speaks things to you. And in the small groups that we interact, and you go on, you go on to YouTube and you look at some pastor across the United States, and they're talking about similar stuff we're talking about. Because the Holy Spirit is sent to all of us who believe that we might have that help. That even though we're in childbirth, it's like he's rubbing our lower back, right? It's going to be okay, right? Breathe. Here's an ice pack. 
yoga ball, whatever you did in your generation, right? Uh, yeah, just bounce around a little bit. I don't know. Try some spicy food. or Yeah, the Holy Spirit is doing that for us as well as the other believers. So as we go along, we, it's absolutely necessary that we lean into, depend on, come towards God and His Spirit to help us because it is childbirth. It is painful. It is difficult. And all of creation feels it. Now, what we can fall short on is stop with just waiting. Oh, I'm waiting. Dante, we're waiting, dude. I don't... But it's more than that. It shouldn't be just about waiting. See, if God is here with us, he didn't disappear. Just like I assure you, he didn't disappear those 400 years. He didn't take a vacation, right? He wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to go summer in Hawaii while you guys are working this out for 400 years in Judea. It's not about waiting. See, God is here with us, and he has poured out his spirit on us. So he has come for us, and he is coming for us. But I think the problem is, are you ready to receive him? Now, it's a lot easier for you to look at someone else than yourself. So let's use that to our advantage right now. In any context of life, have you ever tried to communicate a message to somebody or, or offer advice or challenge them? And then that person just flat out wasn't ready. Have you, have you seen that? Have you experienced that? Now flip it back on yourself. Has anyone ever tried to tell you something and now looking back you're like, I was really true and helpful but I just wasn't ready. I, I've been on both ends of that. I think that's like every week for my wife when she's trying to talk to me, right? Poor girl. Maybe in four years he'll get it, he'll be ready. Um, so if he is here, let's use your logical mind for a minute. If he's here, if he's speaking, if he's moving and working, then what's the issue? It's not an absence of God. It's not a quiet God. It's hearts that aren't ready to see him, to hear him, to receive him, to see things his way. Here's a real, I'll use the word a prophetic teaching, right? That was given to me by a number of teachers that really just helped me look at it differently. You guys heard of multitasking? Who's pretty good at multitasking? Right. Yeah. So, and then there's a, there's a generalization that says women are better at it than men. I don't know if that's true. But, but the truth is, what multitasking really is, is this. I can have plenty of things pending, and then I can shift my attention from one thing to another, to another, and back to this. And the better that I am at shifting my focus and attention to multiple different things, then one would say I'm better at multitasking. Does that, that make sense? Um, now I think the lie is that you think when you're multitasking that you're giving the same attention to all five things you're doing that is just impossible for a finite being like you and I a limited being like you and I Uh, 
multitasking, and this is just the word I threw up there, it's probably a better word, but it's not the same as multifocus, okay? Or be able to focus or put your attention or your worship on many things. And that's one of the messages the writers of the scriptures have tried to give us. You can't serve God and something else at the same time. Right? You can't focus on God and something else at the same time. Like, even in a Sunday service, if it's too distracting in here, you'll be like, ooh, squirrel, right? And you will lose track of everything else that's going on. So knowing that, I think it's really important. That's why we have to begin to prepare our hearts, because if our hearts, the inner part of us, is so focused on something else then we can't be focusing on God. And I would present to you that's one of the biggest problems that we have with receiving the life that God has for us and to follow him in it. You guys tracking with me so far? Major problem with trying to receive it, it's not God, it's us, and it's our lack of focus towards him. And so we've been looking at some things like, okay, our, our selfishness, our, our fear, Our idolatry keeps us away. So now is a chance in our preparation to begin to look at this. See, because our our finite hearts can't handle what we're putting them through. I mean, you get this? Even us in our limited understanding, psychology, mental health, is saying this is sickening and dangerous what we're doing. Because you have access as people created like God, to so much noise and information, you're worried about people across the world who you hear a news story about. Your heart is breaking about that. And although I applaud your compassion, it's so much. And you're worried about the government and and this virus and this social issue and this sexual-based issue and the children of the youth and Alzheimer's. And you have so much that you're, you're paralyzed. And then we live amongst one another, and there's no way out of that. You're supposed to live with one another. You're supposed to live in context because the Spirit moves amongst the group, and we begin to spur each other on. So to isolate isn't good. But when you come together, as distracted, finite beings, you will cause blows to one another. Especially at Christmas when you get all your families together, right? If you're not married, you're not to that point. I mean, you know how it works, okay? Opposites attract. Like, ooh, that's shiny. I like that, right? So you go, you find something opposite. Then you try to bring like seven kids in your family who grab a bunch of opposites and bring them in for Christmas and watch that go. That's fun. Right? So you begin to wound one another and, and cause blows to one another. Or join a church. That's a great place for it. There's lots of people there. will really hurt your feelings a lot and say awful things to you and judge you. It's fun. Um, Now, when this happens, you become overwhelmed to the point where where it's what would be called becoming hard-hearted or to lose heart. If I say those phrases, to become hard-hearted, I don't want to make it about feeling, but do do you understand that? Do you know that? Have you felt that? 
You know what that looks like and feels like? I do. That's happening to me a lot. I think it's one of the pandemics of growing older is there's more baggage and woundedness in, in your life, right? And more hurts and more doors closed. And it's so easy to become so closed off, to lose heart, to lose hope, to become hard-hearted. And you're not open, right, to something new or, or better or to be changed. I mean, most people lose the simple truth that if you're still breathing, one of the main calls in God's God has on your life is to be changed. Keep changing. But I'm 85. Keep changing. You didn't get it yet. If you did, you probably would have died when you were 45. But you didn't get it yet, okay? So God's still working on you. He's still wanting you to change, but as our hearts get hard, we stop looking at ourselves. And, and one of the things that Jesus... The, one of the first things that Jesus really announced, which is recorded in Luke 4, he announced to the world when they were trying to figure out who is this carpenter's guy and why is he here. And he, he took a quote from the Old Testament and he used it to describe and really launch his ministry in a way. And he said this, that he's been sent, right? he's got the anointing from God, he's been sent to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind and set at liberty them that are bruised. Okay, let's put those pieces because I'm moving a little bit fast because there's a lot of information here. You and I, our hearts are hardening. Or at very least, we're like losing heart. Okay, but listen, Jesus, that's why he came. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He does that. By, by setting people who are captive to things like fear and anger and lust and religion. He, he breaks you free of that. And then he helps you to see clearly. So this is really great news, Emily. If we just looked at it a simple way. Man, I am struggling, Emily. My heart sucks right now. I know a guy. I know a guy, Right? You don't even have to go online to find this guy. He's everywhere. It's like Jesus. This is what he's about. So we come to God in our waiting. It's not like something you and I are doing, like, I don't want to let God see me, Elliot. I got to go over here and prepare. Not like when your relatives come to your house and you got to clean before they show up. It's like your relatives come over and help you clean. This is very different. That's the way it works with God, right? Like, I don't like moving the refrigerator. Don't worry, God's coming over. He'll move the fridge. He'll clean out the cobwebs. He'll even mop it for you. Just ask him. And so this is what we do right now, is what I'm calling us into, is that we begin to prepare our hearts. While we're waiting, we invite God in, because Jesus is coming more and more for you, and hopefully soon he'll come back to take you to himself for good. But even if he doesn't, even if your future is you leave this body and your body gets buried in a box, it's no different. You, you have to prepare for what God wants you to do, wants you to be. He's coming for you now. So here's the first thing. Let's go through a few exercises here. What if, I don't know, Corey, what if we did like a, a micro practice of this? 
And then, this is crazy, what if then you guys went home and did a more thorough job of this? What if I went home and did a more thorough job? Well, this is what I am doing at home, so I'm inviting you into that. Um, All the noise, especially right now, right? It's just like everything's louder and crazier. Um, because I can't multi-focus. Because I'm so limited, I really got to quiet my heart. That's the phrase I'm using. There might be a better way, the inner person. Like, I've got to quiet the noise. How, how could you quiet the noise? Like, help me out. You guys think anyone over here? Go in the closet? Turn off your phone? What? Yeah, turn off your phone. Turn off the TV. Oh, there's lots of cuss words going on over here. What about what, about what else? Getting rid of distractions. Oh, something good happened over here. Is it should be shared or not? Getting rid of the kids, yeah. It's true. Yeah. Get out of your house. Yeah, that's probably a good one. Someone said something over here? Put away the to-do list. Yeah. Go to sleep. Yeah. Go to the woods. That's a great place. I knew a guy named Jesus. He did that. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. He did. He's a woodworker, and that's where he would go to. And he would like, what about? Open your empty box. Yeah, I don't know. Like someone, yeah. Go hunting. Get rid of distractions. And Inten- being intentional about it, yeah. I mean, man, what, I mean, some things, and I think this is discipleship, right? Discipleship somewhere along the way became like a Sunday night class to fill your head with stupid knowledge, right? But, but what about you're 17, okay? And you need somebody who's like 60-something to say, here's some real practical things that I do that quiet my soul. Like, I get around birds, and they're chirping, and it's like, oh, yeah, right? Or, oh, I, there's running water, I go there. Oh, yeah, right? I right, watch the sunset or sunrise. Oh, yeah. I shut down my phone for three hours. We need to help each other out in some practical ways, but you have to be able to quiet that inner man. And I think if you take on the burdens of everyone else through their social media, and then you compare yourselves to them based on that as well, and then you're down on yourself, and then you're worried about all the starving kids in Africa, and the kids in America, and this person's, aunt's cousin who lost his head in a boating accident, right? Like, I get the compassion, but this is too much. David, you know, from King David, the guy was a mess, which makes me feel better because I'm a mess too, right? But, man, he could get the heart of God. One thing that was really cool about him that Brandy and I talk about a lot is like, man, this guy really looked at himself. You know how few people really look at themselves? I'm married to one that looks at herself a lot, and it's, it's crazy to watch, right? She, she will really examine her life. It's inspirational compared to 
Me, who's just talking all the time, doesn't shut up long enough to... Yeah, I see some amens there, right? And there's a psalm, Psalm 46.10. It says, Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. So I just want to pray this through the exercise here. Lord, I pray that you would just come, and you would give us a taste of, of what it is to quiet, quiet our hearts, quiet our distractions, draw our attention to you um, as we prepare for you just to invade our lives, Lord, and to take over. I pray that you quiet those noises. Help us to be still, and in our being still, we're showing you that we trust you to take care of things. So just help us to quiet, put down the to-do list, put down the distractions. Okay, we're just going to keep going. And now, guys, we, 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 next thing we do is we become honest and open. We become honest and open. Once again, Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Be careful if you ask this. Search me and know my heart. When you do that, this is where envy comes. You'll see the envy come out of you or the jealousy or the lust or the fear. What are the things, Brandy? I'm putting you on the spot right now. What other things come out, guys, when you... Anxiety and fear. What's that? Depression. Anger. You start to realize, wait, I'm a gossip. Oh, geez, wait, I'm dramatic, right? Or this happened to me. They're like, what's wrong? You got this look on your face every time you get on the phone. My family is telling me some people, friends were over once, and they're like, you look like somebody just died on the other end. And when you're a pastor, that could happen, right? So, so they're like, what's wrong? And you're like, oh, nothing. Just, you know, it was like the library called or something, and, like, you should see the look on your face. Like, search yourself, your heart. Where are you at? What is your posture? Like, what's happening in you? Are you so angry? Are you so afraid? Are you so bitter? Do you need forgiveness? This is the type of stuff that comes. Search me, God. Know my heart. Know and test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's anything hurtful in me and lead me into the way that's everlasting. Right, so let's do that, Lord. Man, search us. Search me. You know my heart. You know these areas that you're working. These areas that have me bound up and tied up. These areas that are keeping me from really living. Just reveal those to me. See, when you do that, um, I'm going to recommend some old school. How about like a journal? You write these things out because you don't just solve them in a day. And then once God gives those to you, here's really important. This is agreeing with God. Like, I agree with you. This isn't good. Let me give you an example, okay? This is a real transparent example. Because I, my whole adult life, I've been called to lead people in different environments, I noticed something. And that was people who loved me, or they're like, well, you don't seem, you're not seeming to let these things bother you as much as they're bothering me. Well, really looking at it, it's like, because I've had a bad posture towards people a lot of the time. 
Because people will hurt you and disappoint you, right? You think, you think being tough-skinned is a blessing, but when, sometimes what you find when you're being tough-skinned is you begin to not expect much from anybody, so you let nobody in. That's like a bad heart place. And on the other end, it could be like, I don't trust anyone and everyone's out to hurt me. I hate all people. Don't talk to me. And on the other side, it's like, I talk to all people all the time, but I expect about zero from them. And these are the things that come out when you begin to look at yourself. Merry, this is a great Christmas story, Will. Thank you so much for this. First John, John said this. If we confess our sins, the word confess means if we come to agreement with God, what he thinks, right? I come to agreement with God about my sin, that this is really, really affecting me in a negative way. It's really impacting my life in a negative way and the people around me in a negative way. And it's really getting in the way of everything that God has for me. Because in my multi-focus trying, I'm focusing God right now, but in the next minute, I'm like, well, wait a second, I don't think I like this style of music, or wait a second, Will, he's not wearing shoes. I mean, all those things could take away from what God's doing. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So then we can just simply be praying like, Lord, I'll use my example, Lord, man, I want your heart for people. I want to I want to understand their limitation in such a way that they won't hurt me so much, but I don't want to close my heart off to the people I love. Help me. And I agree with you, man, that is not right. It's impacting the joy and peace in my life. Side note, you want to take a temperature of your spiritual life? Like, it's this. How much joy, peace, and love do you have? Wait a second. Let me, let me say it over on this side, too, so you guys can hear it. You want to take the temperature of your spiritual life? It's how much joy, peace, and love do you have? You heard of Grammarly, the app? I'm chasing. Okay, I've got it on my computer. I was writing some emails. Apparently, I got an email. Rick, check it out. I'm, I'm typing 70% more words than most people. Is that good? I don't even know if that's good, right? But it's like that in spiritual life. I say more spiritual things, so I must be more spiritual. Are you loving? Well, no. Do you have joy? No. Do you have peace? No. Then uh, you're just blowing hot air. Or confused. Confused, yeah. Like So if I look at that, and it's like, isn't it easy my example? If we, as people have the wrong heart for one another, if we become hardened one way or the other towards other people, we've simply blown what God's called us to do. We have affected our joy, our love, and our peace because we have a wrong relation with people. It's huge. So then once we realize there's these broken places, we've, we've released that to God. Now it's like, God, come and heal these broken places in me. I'm going to look at this one thing at a time and say, wow, I really need to focus on this. I really need to spend time with you. Heal my broken places. God, heal the broken way I'm looking at people. Heal the fear that's coming or the anger that's coming and teach me to walk in a new way. Because after all, that's what God wants to do. Even David, long before Jesus came, he said, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. 
that's us. And then we can ask God to renew our hearts and open our eyes to Him. Here's a good one. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I like that He makes me. That's how it feels sometimes. Yeah, he makes me. You're like this, boy. <laughs> okay, God. <laughs> he makes me lie down in green. Here's what it looks like in 2020. Like surgery. <laughs> you get sick. Your car breaks down so you can't go away. You get a pandemic so you got to go stay home and stay with your family. Right? All these things. He makes me lie down in these good places. He makes me stop. Smell the roses. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads my path, paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And all of the beauty, and then it says this, and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Okay, okay, this is good, right? You guys with me? It's exciting, right? Green pastures and water. Uh, and then it's like, but I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But isn't that life with God? Right? One minute, it's like the babbling brook. The next minute, it's like darkness all around you. And then he takes it even to another weird place, but it, this is true, and this is what it's like with God. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And in that same thought, your rod and staff, they comfort me. Your discipline, you correcting me, it's like this comfort. Not only is there the beauty of the babbling brooks and then the darkness of the world closing in on me, but you're also whipping my butt at times too. And I feel good about all three of these things, right? Because they comfort me, my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So if you're getting all three of those things, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, right? That's the more complete version of that. Hmm. Gosh, if I could stay believing this, that would be sweet. Wouldn't it? If we could just stay in that. So I, I, here's what I want to do. We're going to take communion today. Um, I'm going to invite, let's invite the worship team to come on back up. So that process, like, let me just bring this to you. I almost didn't go through those, those steps because it's, it's foolish to try to do that here, right? Unless we're going to take hours. But to lay that out for you, I, I really hope that you could go and, and work through some of this because I'm actually convinced of this. Some stuff I want to talk about in the new year, too, is, is like, okay, what is it to be a, a pastor and a ministry leader? What is it to be part of the church? What is it? Uh, just some of those basic type of things. But here's what I'm beginning to see. If we begin to become people, let me, let me say this differently. We think holy 
in terms of like really good. Okay, but but really holy in itself means what, Josh? Separate, set apart. And when it comes to holy like God, that means set apart in a good way. Okay? Now, we have a world, we have an opportunity. You and I have an opportunity, particularly us. Because we live in a free country, but we live in a free state in a free country. I mean, you can homeschool your kid and teach them nothing, and no one will even stop you. Do you know that? It's weird. You can have guns. You can do all sorts of cool redneck things here. You can do whatever you want in a lot of ways, right? And we came to church. The only thing it cost you was getting up and maybe some gas to get here. And then we, you have a crazy pastor who's with you on doing some crazy things, right? And we have Manuel right here, E.Manuel. We've got all this stuff going. And so what if we were actually people who were changing? What if we were actually people who were like, man, i got all this pride I'm dealing with. Oh, man, i got all this jealousy I'm dealing with. Oh, man, I'm just angry all the time and I don't know why. Because in our world, it's like, I'm on crack or no, I'm fine. Everyone's fine. Like, but we're not fine. If we could be people who are examining ourselves and modeling that for the young men and women who came up, because actually these guys are better at this than you are. That's a fact. I've spent time with both of you. They're better at this than you. And some of you know. And some of you are offended, so that's cool though. Way to challenge them. But, but these guys here, they will look at themselves. We'll just look at the rest of the world. But everyone else is doing that. That trick's played out. If we prepare, I don't care if you've been a Christian for 300 years, there's a newness with God. A new mercy. A new goodness. Every day. Every moment. And see, the good news that you're supposed to share with the world, the light that you're supposed to be to the world, is all about that good news coming for me again and again and again. And here's what God did for me. And here's what God did for me. This was bad, but God. This was bad, but God. This was bad, but God. I lost hope, but then I had a hardened heart, but then God softened it with a new one. So if we could be people, who examined ourselves before the Lord, if we could be people who prepared our hearts to receive life, imagine what we could do. I mean, look, look at communion, right? I mean, what's it, it's really about, it's about a lot of things, depends on what you're taught. I mean, one of them is remembering, sure. Because when we do this, we, we remember what Jesus did for us. That's super important. It's, it's that communion, it's being together. But also, uh, Paul was talking about that when you came to the table. Because I struggle, because I don't like doing it like this, guys. If I can just be a person. I mean, but we don't have dinner together. We don't have dinner together. That's what they did. They had dinner together. I mean, you want to do this in a holy way, do it with people together around a table. Right? But that doesn't mean this is bad. That's, that's the difference. But we've got to examine our hearts because when we do this in the wrong way, 
There's stern warning against that. I know the context, the drunkenness, the paganism, but we do this in a wrong way. And ultimately, this is something that was, I think, was just from God, a simple way to describe this to you. When we take communion, what we're really doing is coming to the table, asking God to reveal to us where he's working in our life and judging ourselves. Maybe it's not the perfect phrase, but every time I take this, I'm thankful for what Jesus did, right? Because you know the, the juice, the wine, depending on where you're at, represents his blood. That's so important. What does his blood do? What's that? Life. Right? His, his life for yours. It, it washed your sins. It was the sacrifice for all the sins you've already done and what you're about to do. And then the bread. What, it, what is it? His body. What, what's important about his body? Sacrifice for you. Yeah. It was broken. It was prophesied long before that. See, because the death paid for the sin. So now you and I can rejoice in such ways that we can worry about silly things like examining ourselves because Jesus did the hard work, work we could never do. And so I'd like to ask you, in light of this, in preparation, that we take this time. They're going to play a little music quietly. We'll dim the lights down. Go to the tables in the back if if you so wish or just just do it without the bread and the juice at this point but but sit there have a little time with the lord to examine yourself and then as at your own pace as you want to you want to celebrate and you want to worship what jesus's blood did for you and what his body did for you and let me just pray lord i pray into this time we just create an opportunity for the sons and daughters of god to come to the table with you to judge for themselves where you know based on what you're revealing to them lord that they would look at themselves they would examine themselves they would see where you're working in their life you're right i'll just add if if there's something that you need to confess before god before you take this that you would do that if there's if there's a person that you need to go apologize to or or speak to do that, like do whatever God's asking you to do. So when you finally sit to take that drink and eat of that bread, that it would be with a pure heart and a mind towards God. I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.